0: Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, Jimmy'sTable.com. I am your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Today is episode 32, where I'm going to talk about a church without any popes. (laughs) Sounds intriguing, doesn't it? For much of our history, I believe Christianity has pretty much been a one-man show. That is true whether we are talking about Catholicism or whether we are talking about the more independent non-denominational churches such as you see here uh, pretty prolifically in America. Almost everywhere you go, though, there is a pope-type figure that ultimately reigns supreme, whether whether it is over an entire denomination or even your local small church. Everything, regardless, happens within that church, ultimately centering around the ministry of one particular individual. This pope-type figure is often envisioned as the chief leader, visionary, administrator, preacher, and the one that ultimately everybody submits to, follows, and answers at some degree or another. If you look back through church history and you know thankfully i'm i've had the privilege and opportunity to study church history quite formally uh both in bible college and seminary it was one of my favorite areas to focus on i loved studying the early church uh in particular and one of the things that i noticed in the writings of um the early church was that uh you know over time you saw this increasingly centralized figure arising in the history of the church. There's a little hint of such activity in the New Testament, um, but you really don't start seeing the acceleration of this idea until you get into the, the second century writings of the quote-unquote early church fathers or the anti Antinician fathers. Um, for example, And this isn't meant to be an exhaustive history lesson by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But, for example, in the uh, epistle to the church of Smyrna, Ignatius, a second century bishop from Antioch, and a Christian martyr wrote, See that ye all follow the bishop, even as Jesus Christ does the Father, and the presbytery, as you would the apostles and with reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. Let no man, he said, do anything connected with the church without the bishop. Let that be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by a bishop or one whom he has entrusted to it. See ye that ye all follow the bishop, even as Christ Jesus does the Father." So it's pretty clear from Ignatius' letter that he thought every local church should have a bishop or senior pastor, if you might wanna use kind of modern day terminology that you might be familiar here with more uh, Protestant traditions. That's ultimately upon whom everything centers around. The bishop is seen as holding essentially the place of Jesus Christ in the local church. He is on top of the local hierarchy He's the CEO type figure from whom all legitimate activity in the life and ministry of the church flows. So much that Ignatius cannot even envision having communion be properly taken without the presence of a Pope type figure that legitimizes its distribution. And while Ignatius's theology of the issue was far from monolithic or universally held in the early church and you can see this clearly in documents such as the didache um where the didache envisions uh, a less centralized church um, much more organic in nature ignatius's theology would ultimately win the day and it would shape the way we largely do church not only throughout church history but to the present day regardless of official denominational affiliations. And as a result, we often today, even in our independent sort of Pentecostal charismatic type churches, or even in your Baptist churches or what have you, we look towards the man of God or the senior pastor, uh, or if you're a Catholic, uh, the Pope, to direct ultimately all the affairs of the church. And anyone who questions such things Is going to be treated often in a somewhat hostile manner and will be called out by many as being in rebellion to Jesus Christ uh, for not submitting to um, some imagined divine covering authority type figure. Such persons are told that they often need to submit themselves to the authority of the local church. And by such, they generally mean the pope-type figure considered in charge of it all. And I know as one who has taken many memberships in many different denominations over the years, uh, generally of the Pentecostal variety, most membership covenant-type documents or oaths that you are asked to take ultimately require you to more or less pledge some sort of allegiance, uh, even if very loosely defined, ultimately to the pope-type figure in charge of your local church. Now, I'd also encourage you, for those of you, and this is just kind of a parenthetical, oh, by the way sort of statement, if you're really interested in studying church history, I highly encourage it. But if you're really interested in particular about the rise of the Episcopate, uh, that is the the hierarchy that you often see in many type churches where there's pope-type figures, um, I highly recommend... Um, you check out f- the book by Francis A. Sullivan, From Apostles to Bishops. Uh, I have a link to it in the show notes at Jimmy'sTable.com. If you look up episode 32, you'll find a link to the book in my show notes. Highly recommend that book. It is a very enlightening book. And interestingly enough, written by a Roman Catholic uh, theologian and scholar uh, who shows quite convincingly that the Early church was much more organic, less centrally centralized in nature. It didn't have an official pope. <laughs> and he says that as a Roman Catholic uh, priest, uh, but it didn't have an official pope. And it wouldn't, it was would, actually, he considers it a subsequent uh, development in the history of the church, one that he ultimately embraces. But, uh, you know, he's willing to be honest about the fact that. Uh, There wasn't an unbroken succession of Pope-type figures from Peter to the present uh, in the history of the church. But anyway, let me not get distracted. So let us move on. I think, you know, after having briefly looked at the history of the early church, I want to look at something in the Reformation, uh, the Protestant Reformation in the fifteen sixteen hundreds, 1600s that I find pretty interesting regarding Pope-type figures. Well, if you know anything about the Protestant Reformation with, John, with uh, individuals like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and, and a whole host of other fun individuals, <laughs> um, you'll find that it was very common for many of the reformers to call whatever pope was in office the Antichrist. And while such is considered, I think, a pretty distasteful and tacky thing to say today, you don't you don't see too many Protestants, except on sort of uh, fringe individuals and fringe type of groups, who you know make such charges today. I don't know. I don't offhand of know to anybody really directly calling the Pope the Antichrist. And if you were to call the Pope the Antichrist, you probably wouldn't be taken seriously. Because well, let's you know just be honest. It's not the Antichrist we're talking about because obviously for the Pope to be the Antichrist, there would have to have been a lot of the Antichrist. Uh, And so, you know, they stop kind of saying those things because when you call every Pope the Antichrist, uh, it kind of sends a false flag and, you know, it kind of reduces the sense of urgency when you say every single one. Uh, is the Antichrist. So, you know, generally speaking, on top of it, most people see the Pope uh, and uh, is generally a, a good and ethical Christian, even if he's not exactly a theological hint among most of us Protestants and among us especially who are the evangelical persuasion. Um, so you might consider the, hope, the Pope uh, not exactly square when it comes to the gospel uh, but most people would say uh, he's some sort of loosely sense a Christian, <laughs> even among Protestants. Um, and you dare wouldn't have many call him something as bold as saying the Pope is the Antichrist. However, the, the charge that the Pope was the Antichrist among early Protestants wasn't so much when you really look at it about any particular Pope or even necessarily about his character. No, you know, if you get at it, some rightfully impugned the character and theology of the Pope. Um, But he wasn't the Antichrist because he was some sort of terrible devil per se. But they really generally looked at the Pope as being an Antichrist type figure simply because of the position the Pope claims to have held. Um, And you can see this, I think, awesomely demonstrated Uh, and the Westminster Confession from 1646, where it says in uh, section 25.6, quote, There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be the head thereof, but is that Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, that exalts himself in the church against Christ, and that is called God. End quote. So from this, we can see that the Westminster Confession considers the Pope as an antichrist type figure because he has exalted himself into the role of the head of the church and has taken the place that belongs rightfully to Jesus Christ alone. The reformers would charge that there can be no head of the church except that ultimately of Jesus Christ. And it is in this sense a, a good time to look at the word the Antichrist, uh, which literally means in the original Greek in the place of Christ or in, in place of the anointed one. Therefore, when early Protestants charged that the Pope was the Antichrist, it was much more than just some sense of a cheap slur. Um, but rather it was a theological declaration that the Pope had usurped the authority of Jesus Christ as the head of the church and that he had taken an office that belongs to Jesus Christ alone. For Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church and the early reformers would say that anybody ultimately claiming to fill that role back then or today, such person would be doing so in the place of Christ, or rightfully shortened to simply Antichrist. And, you know, if I might be so bold, if I could be a little fringe and crazy, I would be willing to say that, uh, you know, those early Protestants were, you know, very much in some sense right to make the charge in a very hyperbolic fashion. And it is a charge that I think we should be willing to revise today. But we shouldn't simply limit the accusation to whoever occupies the throne in Rome. But it should be something that we should also be willing to apply throughout the entire church. Not only universally, but within all denominational structures and local congregations. Following the logic of the early Protestants. I would dare say anybody claiming to occupy the role of senior pastor or head bishop in the local church or denomination should be considered an antichrist type figure. And let me just put out as a disclaimer, I say that in a very hyperbolic type fashion. For if you were to really hold to good theology and look at the scriptures, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, the Apostle Peter, who is, you know, allegedly the first pope, <laughs> called Jesus Christ our chief shepherd. In Hebrews 3, 1, the author of Hebrews calls Jesus Christ the apostle and the high priest of our faith. He alone is seen as having preeminence in any chief position. Jesus Christ alone is chief shepherd. He alone is our chief apostle. He alone is our chief high priest. And this language might sound a little archaic to you, and you know, that's okay. But if you were to put the term chief shepherd or chief apostle or chief high priest in a kind of modern vernacular, and look at First Peter 5, 4, or Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, You essentially see these authors calling Jesus Christ, our senior pastor, our Pope. And that, in my opinion, should make anyone claiming to fulfill the role of senior pastor or Pope rather uncomfortable from a theological position. And such people are, you know, in my opinion, antichrist type figures. But I only say that, of course, in some hyperbolic sense, Um, though I would consider, you know, strictly based off the Greek, (laughs) an accurate theological Greek-like description. Though it's not one that I would sincerely call, you know, any sincere brother uh, in the faith. I would not call, you know, for example, my older brother, who's a senior pastor at a church, I would not call him the Antichrist and my current senior pastor at my current church I would not call him the antichrist so I only just to make clear I only use these terms in a very loose sense however I use them in a loose sense to depict a very real sense in which men are attempting to occupy and function in the church in a way that only properly belongs to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone is my senior pastor. Jesus Christ alone is our chief apostle. Jesus Christ alone is our chief high priest. And nobody else should be considered our Pope but him. <laughs> For the Bible never describes anyone besides Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And he should exist as such both locally and universally. And nobody should be claiming to occupy the office in lieu of him simply because he is in heaven and we are here down on earth. Indeed, it is actually precisely for this reason that he is in heaven that Jesus Christ is called the head of the church to begin with, both locally and universally, according to Ephesians verse. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 through 23, it says, quote, there are in accordance with the working and the strength of his might, which would, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if you're trying to say, well, you know, Jesus Christ is in heaven, therefore we need somebody functionally and practically speaking to occupy the role of uh, head of the church locally or universally as our senior pastor or Pope type figure. That position would be an erroneous position because just because Jesus Christ is in heaven doesn't mean he has abandoned his role as the head of the church, either locally or universally. So that begs the question then, if nobody should be considered the head of the church except Jesus Christ alone, how ought the church to function when it comes to leadership and ministry? And at a very practical level, we might ask, who the heck is in charge around here? I believe such an answer, though, is bound to ultimately make us uncomfortable, especially as folks in the West who understand leadership and concepts primarily in notions that look like hierarchies and pyramids. We are used to larger-than-life type figures and bosses who tell the rank and file what to do and how to function as if they're the general or head of the army, <laughs> as if they were a king. But such isn't really, ultimately, how the kingdom of God is supposed to function. Instead of some sort of bureaucratic hierarchy, leadership and ministry in the kingdom of God is supposed to function in a much more organic and relational way. If you were to think in terms of geometric shapes, think less about vertical pyramid type structures and think instead more about circles and spheres. And instead of bosses and managers and executives, think more about family dynamics such as that which exists between brothers and sisters. And I want to take a look at a couple passages right now real quick to kind of back up this claim, because you might think, okay, that sounds fine and good, but uh, I'm not quite sold. So I want to look at a couple passages One from Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 through 28, and Matthew 23, 8 through 12, in which Jesus, in the rare instances that Jesus ever talked about leadership and church ministry, talked about them (laughs) and the concepts and mindsets that we're supposed to ultimately have when it comes to ministry in the church. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 through 28, And hearing this, the ten became indigenate, with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not to be this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many." And Jesus said in Matthew 23, 8 through 12, But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on your earth father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. If you were to look at these passages and digest them and chew on them, I highly encourage that you do. Jesus taught that in the church, all of our earthly notions of leadership that we typically understand are wrong. Don't think about leadership like the Gentiles and the pagans do, where folks lord it over and where they have bosses and generals and people calling all the shots. In the church, leadership and ministry has been flipped not only upside down, but it has been flattened. The only leader, quote unquote, we are to have in the church is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't exist as someone that bosses us around, but he exists as someone who lives to serve. And among us as Christians, as our fellow brothers and sisters, we are all to think of ourselves simply as servants and never as visionary CEO type leadership Figures. So take all that stuff you have from Bill Hybels (laughs) and all that other stuff that you have from a lot of other uh, popular type figures that have hit the leadership guru circuit pretty hard over the years. Uh, And you know, in my opinion, throw it all out the window. (laughs) As Christians, we aren't to relate to one another merely as brothers and rather. I'm sorry. Let me back that up. As Christians. Instead of relating as CEO-type figures, bureaucrats, leaders, we are all to relate to one another merely as brothers and sisters in Christ who selflessly look out for the interest of all of our spiritual siblings. We aren't to lord things over one another and lead uh, each other in some sort of military corporate CEO-type fashion. Rather, you and I are supposed to lead one another just as you and I would lead our earthly siblings. Instead of bosses that require something uh, of somebody of an organizational chart to push each other around, you and I are simply to relate to one another and cooperate and partner together and try to do something just as you would in your earthly family if your brothers and sisters got together to do something. Just like, you know, if I want to go have some fun with my brother and his girlfriend and my wife and we want to get some friends together. Well, you know, we, we organize ourselves in such a fashion. Nobody gets together and says, okay, I'm the one in charge here and I'm going to call the shots. We simply look at each other and we cooperate and figure it out we we give and we take and we you know decide through through conversation you know ultimately what needs to get done and how things are supposed to be done um and we do that by mutual agreement by mutually submitting ourselves to one another in a very give and take sort of way that's how leadership in the church is ultimately supposed to function leadership leaders aren't supposed to be bosses Calling all the shots on top of some sort of pyramid. And our leaders in the church are not supposed to be individuals who we follow, but rather they are simply supposed to be individuals who empower and equip us to become the people that God has called us to be. And instead of enlisting us to help fulfill their vision about how the way uh, ministry in the church is supposed to do, um, you know, they're supposed to ultimately exists simply to help others walk in the fullness of what God has called them to be and what God has called them to do. And this sort of mentality leaves no room whatsoever for a one-man show. There is no room in the kingdom of God and ministry for running things with popes or folks like Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick or T.D. Jakes, who dominate a massive platform and and wow the audiences and have all these multi-site campuses popping up all over where everybody live streams to tune in to hear what the man of God is going to say to the church. We don't need any sort of Pope-type figures. We don't need churches built around one man. We don't need churches to centralize themselves around one platform and one pope-type figure who dominates our Sunday morning services. Rather, the church instead ought to embrace models of life and ministry that makes wonder, outsiders who come and visit wonder, who's in charge around here? <laughs> there should be people who come and visit our church and have no idea who's in charge. And in fact... The more they come to our church, the more they should look around, and the more they should ultimately conclude that there is only one person that is in charge of our local church, and that person is Jesus Christ. For he alone is our pope, our senior pastor, our leader, and our high priest. Now, what we're supposed to do with all that and how we're supposed to put that all together, you know? I'm not going to propose to have ultimately any solutions. I go to, you know, a pretty typical evangelical church. I go to a church with a senior pastor, a church that has a multi-site campus, (laughs) and we all tune in and live stream every Sunday morning to see, you know, depending on what campus you are, you may be looking on a stage or you may be looking at a TV screen. It just depends. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to claim to have any solutions about this, but I believe the solutions of uh, what needs to be done involves <laughs> blowing stuff up, but not blowing stuff up in some sort of controversial, over-the-top way where we, you know, enter into strife and you know start breaking up as a church and uh, you know saying, well, we just need to all blow it up and become a house church. <laughs> I'm not saying anything like that needs to be done. We don't need to do these things in a contentious manner. Rather, we need to do it, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, trying to work these things out and figure these things out together, partnering together, doing it cooperatively, uh, and through consensus building organic sort of ways. It shouldn't be some sort of top-down sort of thing. It needs to be something where the family of God gets together and ultimately figures it out together. But that won't happen until we see that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church, both locally and universally. And we need to build on that foundation with Jesus Christ as our chief cornerstone of whatever it is that we build up. And that's, you know, not going to be something that happens overnight, but it's going to be something that has to catch on, probably in a kind of a slow manner, but it won't happen until people are absolutely enamored with the idea and they get a revelation of what the way the church is supposed to be and know that Jesus Christ is supposed to be at the center of it all. And understand that so long as we have popes and senior pastor type figures, we will never have a church that is centered around Jesus Christ. That's not to say we can't have some very good churches. And that's not to say these senior pastor and pope type figures don't love Jesus Christ very much. But until it all centers around him, it'll never center around him. So everybody... This is Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy's Table.com. This has been episode 32, where I talk about how we should envision a church without any popes. I'd love to hear from you. Email me, jimmy at Jimmy'sTable.com. I'm also on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. You can look me up there, links to both at Jimmy's Table.com website. Also check out Jimmy's Table.com where I have show notes. Love to hear from you. Uh, please write me, be it by email, interact with me on Facebook. Uh, Tell me what a wonderful idea this is. Tell me what a terrible idea this was. And, uh, you know, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on however you get your podcast. Be it Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Chrome, uh, you know, multiple platforms in which you can subscribe. Uh, And if you can, if your platform allows, I'd love for you to leave a review. So, again, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy's Table.com. Hope you have enjoyed today's show and look forward to having conversations with you again about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Take care, everybody, and God bless.